So welcome to Privacy Cast. Today we have with us Dimitri. Dimitri is the CEO and co-founder of one of the first enterprises in privacy management and one of the biggest platforms in privacy, Big ID. He's an established serial entrepreneur, investor, mentor, and strategist. He's a three-time inter- entrepreneur with his former enterprises being focused on security, e-tunnels, and API management at Layer 7 Technologies. But nonetheless, I think there is nobody in privacy management who doesn't know Big ID today. He has more than 10 years of experience as a privacy expert. He's an industry veteran. And obviously, as you guys know, Big ID is the platform, right, which we which can be used for or solving all our privacy compliance problems. Dimitri was was the EY 2021 Entrepreneur of the Year finalist for New York and is a Forbes Tech Council contributor as well. Welcome to the show, Dimitri. Yeah, thank you for having me. I really appreciate that. Tejasvi is a data protection officer at Access Bank. He's a data strategist and a data engineer with over 15 years of success in assisting enterprises to develop, modernize, and optimize digital and native platforms. He has a vast portfolio, and his expertise lies in areas of data management, data governance, business analysis, data protection, privacy, and security. He has also served on the board of IAIDQ, IQINT, and Data MZA, and is also the author of the book, Data Management and Governance Services, one of the famous books that you can buy online on Amazon. Yeah, moving on to our questions for the day. So today's topic is data privacy versus data protection. There's a huge myth out there in the market, right? Every Everybody wants data privacy to come to them, but I think the road to privacy goes through protection because when we talk about data privacy in today's world, we are always talking about online data privacy. And to get online data privacy, we keep talking about data protection. So moving on and getting heads on to our questions. So we will start with Dimitri. Dimitri, what is data privacy to you? And how do you see data privacy in your day-to-day life? Yeah. So, you know, I take the view on data privacy really kind of from the perspective of the individual. I think for a lot of individuals, they talk, they think about it in terms of the integrity of the data that they provide uh, to organizations. So, they want to have both visibility, transparency, trust in the data that they hand over. And I think for a lot of them, the way they think about privacy is they want to have an understanding in terms of not just what rights they have to the data, but understanding of how those organizations uh, are allowed to use their data, right? And this come, comes, you know, I think that's that gets kind of manifest in terms of the preferences that they define. So I think, you know, for consumers, there's an innate understanding privacy. And it's a little bit like data protection in the, in the sense that obviously they, they want to make sure the data doesn't get misused or, or misplaced. But at the same time, there's this kind of community kind of consensus that privacy is also about that kind of choice and about that transparency. So that if I give you data, you know, I have a right to that data. I have a confidence that the way you're using the data is within framework that I am amenable to. Right. I think, uh, Tej, uh, if you would like to add on to Dimitri, right, and in terms of how do you see data privacy uh, in your perspective right today, and also I would like you to add on uh, to the perspective of the organization on how can they achieve data privacy today. Swakash, um, well, data privacy is in fact very, very close to the hearts of the people with 
when it comes to having to trade data across to organizations, customers or leads or any natural person would in fact expect that the data is being used with care in a particular way that it makes sense to them. When I say it makes sense to them, I mean to say that, you know, they're getting benefited by having to share this data with an organization. So the whole crux of having organizations manage data privacy and to put in protection requirements and translate that into security requirements is to ensure that data is being rightly processed and it's being used in a way that, you know, it is supposed to be. So that's how, you know, organizations uh, right are looking at, you know, that particular right. take to data privacy. So Dimitri, if you, if you look at an organization right today uh, and this, the problem that we see, right. And if, if you look at a problem from the angle of trust, right, that the organization needs to increase its trust, right. End of day uh, for its vendor, uh, for its employees, for uh, doing more processing in terms of a data protection authority, right? Especially in Europe. So how how do we how do you differentiate today between a data privacy problem and a data protection problem, or are they the same, Dimitri? You know, so it, it depends. If you speak to a practitioner like Tej, they're probably a little bit different. If you speak to a regular consumer, they're probably mungled together a little bit, right? They may not have the nuance to think of privacy as really about that kind of transparency and trust and, and protection really about the kind of security to make sure the data doesn't get lost. And so one is more about kind of the abuse and misuse of data, and one is kind of more the theft and, and loss of data. But I think most consumers may see them as convergent, which is why I think you're seeing increasingly, and I think you know, the example of Tej's kind of realm of responsibility, there is this kind of broader, uh, broader, broader convergence uh, as a discipline where it's no longer enough to have this group just in legal thinking about privacy, performing PIAs, performing ROPAs, completely separated from the actual data as if the data wasn't there. So historically, I think privacy practitioners relied largely on uh, proxies for the data. They did inventories through interviews. They did um, um, they did mapping through questionnaires. And I think where you see now is this kind of convergence where people realize that understanding the data is the essence for being able to deliver on that trust and transparency that you think about when it comes to privacy, as well as that kind of security in terms of uh, both prevention and remediation in the case of loss or or theft. Right. I think uh, that actually opened up a lot of perspectives for me as well. When I asked you this question, uh, probably I did not, did not look at it from a holistic view altogether, but let's say today, right. It's because I have been doing a lot of trainings as well, where I have been teaching, I've been learning from a lot of privacy practitioners around me. I think doing a PIA may still be an option, right. An easy option for a privacy practitioner to decrease the risk of the process or the product, which is processing the data. Uh, but I also want to understand, like, how do you see, because see, once that it gets into implementation, right? Once that point comes where a privacy practitioner has been working on something, right? And, and he has given some issues. It moves on to a new department called privacy engineering today. And that is not, I would still say it is a unique department or a unique place still in a lot of organizations. I think that is something uh, where I see a lot of industries moving on to, right? And data privacy professionals who were sitting earlier in legal teams right are now sitting in the engineering teams right and an and data privacy has now become an engineering problem because as you get into data privacy and as you start giving a data privacy right let's take an example of data deletion 
so data deletion when we look at a right of data deletion right how do you see for a engineering team dimitri right to solve this problem right i i totally understand that we can do a ropa do a pia but how does an engineering team right get and get in and give that data subject right dimitri well look so i have a bias i think there are technologies like big id that help you execute on that data deletion right provide that life cycle of identifying that sensitive data identifying the risk of that the data reporting on what data you have on individuals and and then potentially depending on how you want to respond to it either managing the life cycle of that data or or just you know erasing that data or deleting that data so i'm a you know big id is a technology company so i i always operate through that lens of technology but i know it's not universal right some organizations still believe in in process in terms of methodology for you know and and having these kind of practitioners these professionals in privacy both identify the risk through things like PIA and then you know kind of pass that information off to either security or privacy engineering to then kind of figure out a solution right and it's kind of bespoke for that particular organization so i personally believe if you look at the if you look at history of technology gradually all of this gets um re- you know all of this kind of bespoke engineering gets replaced with product that is repeatable across companies how quickly that happens i don't know and it's typically you see some customization because people you know no two companies are the same but but yeah you know my my thinking is that there's two ways you can build something you can buy something and uh but some way you have to do it right and i think so there has to be some way to execute on that on that goal of minimizing your data footprint either definitely so dimitri i would like to add on to this i think i just want to add on to this because this is a problem that there you no know, day to day we face at saru also at our company also when we are advising the client so i think who who better than to ask you this question so basically the data deletion starts with our data discovery modules right so when we start data discovery right when we let's say get a data subject request right and they just we please feel free to add on to this i know this is a data discussion started which where you are expert definitely so let's say let's say we identify data right let's say we identify data now and uh, and our data discovery module right identifies that hey for person x data is at 10 places right and that is when uh, a data subject manager goes and deletes the data right but i am i am talking about a different problem and tejasvi please add on if if, if you would like to understand so how does a privacy engineering can pop in here right and actually enable a product to delete this data when is required or is there a different thought process for you yeah i think the way organizations have in fact evolved you know going back to what dimitri said you know we just need to look at how do we converge all of uh, the life cycle of the data together you know we we start with a simple methodology like postman we in fact say that we plan for our data and uh, we'll come to the retention and the deletion part but as we plan for the data we discover data as we democratize it to the consumers and the data engineers and uh, perhaps 5 years ago whenever we had catalogs they never had the capability to look at privacy classifications and now in fact uh, the catalogs are well equipped uh, to look at the privacy classifications as well as if a data element directly identifies a customer or indirectly identifies a customer what is the kind of the security treatment that needs to be given based on the entitlement that is applied across to the data element so it can be as simple as rzls having various uh, jurisdictions that are applicable in a specific organization so today if you take the it act of india 
financial information is in fact considered personal data and if you look at gdpr it doesn't take into account financial information so for an organization something like a unpaid principal balance or an account identifier is a personal identifier when it comes to geography so when we plan for our data it becomes more important to take in the geographical considerations of where this particular data element is applicable and to bring out that context in the form of a knowledge graph or in form of having to connect the geographies and planning it out in such a way that you know, it can be modeled better by the data engineers with the right security treatment i think that's where i'm getting to and at the outset uh, after we plan for the data we create it or obtain it from various sources be it internally or externally and then we store it we distribute it or share it within again particular constraints of a control environment and then we in fact look at having to delete it or decay it or retain it now when it comes to deletion again the same policies apply policies differ across geographies we have archival policies across organizations which in fact can automatically detect and see if a particular data element is required by certain processing and if it is required by certain processing it still can be retained but if it is not required then straight away it can be archived or deleted right tej i think the new point i think which i got on from this discussion is data cataloging and that is something that i did not also point out uh, to dimitri in the past past few minutes uh, in term but I, i think that is one of the biggest supporters i would rather say dimitri right how do you look at data cataloging dimitri yeah so i think there's a little bit of confusion um in the market and i can kind of speak a little bit kind of from our perspective and and our experience so big id has a product that is a catalog so we offer catalog and our advantages we can scale to billions of objects we have a global search to be able to kind of find uh technical metadata business metadata operational metadata the the challenge with a catalog is a catalog is a little bit like a compass it tells you roughly where there are certain types of data but you still need to be able to go into that data so a catalog captures typically for structured data like a data warehouse like snowflake or a relational database um the column information it doesn't tell you what's inside so it doesn't give you that level of detail so you so it still leaves the expectation that a human is going to be able to go inside dig a little bit deeper find out um what data is inside and here's where it gets complex with things that involve like DSRs or data subject rights or data rights where this this idea of kind of individuals going and accessing their data the challenge you have is that a lot of data encompasses personal data under GDPR or um the Indian regulation which is financial information and it doesn't always it's not always to disambiguate it's not always easy to disambiguate a gps coordinate an ip address a cookie a session key a credential that says password how do you know it belongs to me versus tej or to somebody else and that's a very very challenging thing to do and so catalogs alone are incapable of that because they just give you a surface view right they just tell you uh the contours of your data store they they could help you find where you keep email but they can't tell you what email you have And so you need a tool that kind of goes or a mechanism to go deeper. So what we did at Big ID is we didn't stop at the metadata. We did what we called discovery in depth and actually built something that looks at the data values and equally importantly looks across all of your data stores to see how everything is linked. So when you try and find Dimitri's data, 
you not only find my email, my name, my, you know, my credit card, but you could figure out everything that is connected to me, this kind of graph of data so that you could respond to a data access request more dynamically. And you're able to disambiguate that this GPS coordinate is different, is Dimitri's, whereas that GPS coordinate is somebody else's. And believe it or not, you can imagine a lot of people live in a building. A lot of people live in, you know, in Bangalore, right? How do you separate out which instance of a particular zip code or which instance of a particular uh, GPS coordinate or which instance of the word password belongs to me versus somebody else? And you have to get it accurate. So, so I think catalog gives you great navigability, but it's not enough. I think you need this kind of graph-like mechanism to automate that whole uh, process of identifying all the data that's connected to an identity and be able to return it back. So basically, if, if you look at a solution now, if, and if we go back to our question of data protection again, where we are looking at a solution from angle, I totally agree. I think if let's say uh, an organization has to comply with GDPR, right? And if, if an organization has to comply with GDPR and, and uh, let's say our organization X, right, which is a bank, let's say, so the data that is there in the bank is humongous, right? It's, uh, there's no limit to that data, right? So now to find to solve a data subject access request the first step or the, the few steps that are mandatory are one of them would be data cataloging and another another second thing would be you know using the automating this data subject access request where the person who's actually managing the data subject access request can use the data discovery tool find the data in the bank and can delete the data or rectify the data or do anything on the data so do you think dimitri that is the solution did we Conclude no, here. I think, I, well, look, I, I personally think a catalog is one of those things that can give you guideposts in your data landscape. So you could say, okay, here's where I have email. Here's where I have credit cards. However, it doesn't build those linkages. It doesn't tell you who's email. That's still with a catalog alone, you're, you're required to kind of build that manual effort. And there's no way you're going to get an accurate picture of linking that data because there's just too much of it, right? There's just huge volumes of data. And on top of that, it's not in one place. It's not like it's in a database. It's in documents. It's in images. It's just impossible for a human to do it. You need a machine. You need machine capable uh, scale. And so, you know, we invented a, a, a new technology called correlation to do this that we patented and so forth to do this at very large scale at very high speed, because again, a catalog alone, you know, it's like having, it's like having a map, right? With only quadrants and, you know, can you find everything you need in terms of, you know, what oil you have there, what resources you have there, how they're all connected. And the answer is, is no. Again, we think, we think a catalog is certainly attractive and appealing and helps you just more broadly get value from data. But if you truly want to have a solution for automating the problem of data access and data deletion, you need something that with very high speed and fidelity could look at the values and understand how they're connected to an identity, which is something a little bit different. Okay, Dimitri, I think, uh, again, that's, uh, that's a lot of information for me. And I will again, go back and read about it. <laughs> So Tej, uh, how do you see data cataloging? I think since we are again pointing it out and discussing, I think it's a very, uh, and I can honestly tell you, I think this is a discussion that cannot happen easily because you know this level of depth in discussion, I think we need a lot of experience and especially from Tej's angle where you know he has been managing a lot of data. 
So Tej, what is your yeah. take on data cataloging and how would you see a data access request or a data deletion request, Tej, to be fulfilled? Yeah, in fact, um, we started leveraging catalogs in a way that, you know, you know, it's, it's just not an audit source of information. It's, it's not just descriptive, structural, administrative, but it, it can be extended. As I was stating earlier, you know, we can look at having to curate entitlements very specific to something like an unpaid principal balance of a home loan. So who is supposed to access this data? Would this go through a specific series of events, which in fact requires access approval from a data owner? Or do you want a data steward to in fact uh, provide a guidepost in terms of getting an approval for accessing this particular data element? Just because you know it has an entitlement, it has a privacy classification associated with it. And uh, specifically, as I said, you know, we started extending catalogs from being a data discovery solution to in fact having our privacy engineers look at the information that is coming from the catalogs to translate the privacy requirements into security controls. It can be integration with the IAM framework, or it can in fact be looking at having to have the right set of security controls, even on the cloud. I mean, it can be a simple question like, today you might want to encrypt your payloads when you get your data onto the cloud from on-premise. If it is personal information, if it's still regular information, which is not personal to any of the customers or the leads, it can straight away go with whatever native capabilities come with the cloud service provider in terms of encryption and the KMS. So most of these security treatments, be it on-premise or on the cloud, or even on the blockchain today, as we look at most of the use cases for trade finance, all of these are governed from the information that in fact is coming from a catalog. So that's how the evolution of catalog has in fact played with most of the organizations. And we're looking to also extend it to further use cases in privacy and protection. I think one example which you have given already is DSAR. So whenever there's a request uh, which comes from a customer to know what is the most accurate data. So we still have a perhaps a solution like a CDP, a customer data platform or a master data platform, not personally you know, giving my views from access, but any bank for that matter will have a master data management solution. So you, you might want to look at the golden record of a customer which use the most accurate and the most current information from there. But at the outset, if you still want to look at where is the inconsistency between various sources, between your data warehouse or a data lake on the cloud, you still might want to discover where it exists. But having to knit this all together, maybe in terms of semantic relationship between individuals, or in fact, between the same information that is hosted for the same natural person, I think it's, it's going to be a daunting task. And, uh, it still needs certain manual stitching to be done. Right. And, yeah, and one other aspect I think, which which in fact we are looking for catalogs to solve is, you know, impact analysis, very specific to the lineage that comes from sources to consumption landscape. I think there is in fact lots of manual work that comes over in the catalog when it comes to bringing out a lineage. But still, it is very much required, even from a privacy engineering perspective. So to understand, you know, where data is getting processed, where is it getting derived, 
are you deriving age from a date of birth that still is processing you still need to maintain the processing rules and that needs to be tagged in a catalog so it's all about you know uh, knitting together data management and privacy engineering so that uh, it helps the overall landscape right tej sage i think tej and dimitri i think we've been having this uh, intense discussion and i think you've actually moved on and you know started getting into their expertise discussion I, and i think i have one important question very important question and i will start with dimitri right is now dimitri i, I think we're trying to conclude the discussion already right with tej's uh, ending it out but i also also want to understand if somebody wants right i know it's very difficult i know i know being uh, entrepreneur Uh, of big id and ceo of big id and making big id so big right it's it's very difficult i know right people like me are super excited uh, and and super enthusiastic when we see your story right so what would you like to tell us dimitri right what can we do to become like you <laughs> uh, yeah look uh look i think to some degree there's always a little bit of luck involved in anything right and i think you you have some general ideas and i think and you start building software and hopefully you find a customer or two that you know supports your idea so i think in in terms of being an entrepreneur i think one is there there always has to be this kind of diligence or assiduousness where you're able to kind of follow a path and commit to it and even if you hit bumps you continue down the path until you're absolutely certain that that path has been exhausted and so i think that stick stick to itness is just part of the character of of this being an entrepreneur. I also think that there needs to be a constant discipline around listening and monitoring the landscape, looking for opportunities and being able to navigate those, right? I think Tejas said some really interesting things in terms of that intersection about stitching of privacy and data governance and how, you know, how to kind of um ideally kind of uh mechanically implement that. there always has to be that kind of a tuning to listening to other other experts and seeing how that could kind of feed your kind of plans product plans sales plans etc but but yeah look being an entrepreneur is you know half, half of um you know it's it's one half uh, sweat and one half luck right so i think on the luck part it's just always being able to take advantage of an opportunity whether it's around fundraising whether it's around a customer whether it's around a novel implementation of your product and then the other piece is really just kind of getting in and grinding right i think it's doing the marketing not being afraid to doing uh selling and everything else and the last thing i'll leave you with and this was important for us you know i took a turn at almost every function in the company whether it's helping to kind of shape the product whether it's helping to write the collateral whether it's helping to do the newsletter do the adwords you know ship the booths when we were small and five people which actually was not that long ago it was you know maybe 3 and 1/2 years ago it was important for me to get a feel for the business right just like any immigrant that comes to a country needs to get a feel for the whole business and i think that's important for any entrepreneur right you should not just be a strategizer you should be an executor and you should have a sense kind of a preternatural sense internal to yourself about how each part of the business works so that's that's my advice that's super advice dimitri and i think i'm going to listen to this a lot of times after i record this <laughs> <laughs> yeah so tej um, i think none other than you know india's most i would rather say the data expert and the data privacy governance expert tej right if somebody wants 
to pursue a career like you tej what is your advice and what are the things they can do right and they can become a data protection officer of that stature yeah to that question i think that that puts me in a fix in fact akash <laughs> so i look back at how i became a data protection officer i think it it naturally comes to you know data governance practitioners again an innate feeling of having to protect data and having to translate that into certain certain aspects which can protect the data so my advice to the community of data experts will still be to expand their horizon we can we can look at having to dwell deeper into niches of technology like privacy engineer which are still unexplored most of the organizations can use privacy engineers today and in fact we can look at uh, you know law students or perhaps lawyers dwelling into data privacy and protection into technology space even you know that's that's in fact a science that can be further explored so there there is lots of room for data governance and data management and data engineers who can pursue their careers into data protection and privacy and i would still say that it's not unnatural i think this is the most natural path for evolution of a data protection officer right tej and thank you tej and thank you dimitri but just one more second right there is one most important there is a question that is left out right the rapid fire questions oh, right and now you both will not have an opportunity not to not answer right you have to answer right and the questions have to be answered under one second you can spend some time if you want to tell a story behind the question uh, totally allowed right not a problem at all and we will start one by one uh, dimitri tej right and both will have to answer so question number one uh, the most important question of the day right is have you ever been scammed dimitri have a, i you know so i'd like to believe i haven't i get a lot of uh, phishing attempts i get a lot of those phone calls where my social security number has been tampered uh luckily i'm a cynical person and cynical people i think are a little bit harder to fool because they always assume something is 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 falsified so i don't outwardly know that i've been scammed but i know there's been many attempts Okay, that's a very fair answer, Dimitri. And now we also know that you're a cynical person, so we'll keep that extra from this conversation. Tej, uh, question to you now: Have you ever been scammed, Tej? Any time, you know, it it can be a very small thing, right? Uh, maybe childhood, today, uh, anything, right? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it's not many times that I was scammed because I stay alert myself most of the times. Maybe when I'm not asleep, but. <laughs> uh i i still have my guard uh, when i travel countries and uh, yeah i i would rather think that perhaps one or two when i exchange money okay you know, any particular travel, any particular stories you don't want to share but you should share with us <laughs> <laughs> nothing specific perhaps you know when i take a boat ride in okay kerala i think uh, Okay, Kerala. Okay, I have only heard the bad stories about uh, Varanasi, but I will go ahead with you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so moving on to a next question, and and I think this is a question that every privacy practitioner asks his friends for sure, right? This is a question that I have been asking a lot of my friends since last, since all my career. So I'll start with Tej this time. So Tej, data privacy versus convenience. If given a choice, what would you choose? well i would definitely say data privacy because i hold data close to my heart at least if it okay. is personal to me 
but i have i have actually honestly i'll tell you dimitri coming back to dimitri i think dimitri i'll tell you a lot of people have come on this stage and have asked the same question and they have chosen convenience <laughs> because so what do you choose data privacy or convenience yeah look i think i think there's the kind of uh least uh data data principle which i think is both good for privacy and security i try and minimize what data i give to organizations and if they over ask I try and find ways of not giving it to them and I think and I also kind of weigh what kind of credentials I use on different sites if it's information that I'm giving them around preferences for TV watching I'll give them an easy password if it's something that has financial information I'll give them a much stricter password so again I my advice is really be thoughtful about where you're providing that information so thank you guys for joining us uh, and thank it you. was a great discussion and uh, yes, yeah special thanks to both of you right for joining in and have a nice day yeah and we will yeah. see each Bye. other